Uh, this morning, I have the privilege of introducing to you uh, uh, our teacher for the morning. Uh, Robbie Hamm is a uh, man that Green Tree Community Church has actually supported through our missions giving since 2006. Uh, he's been to Green Tree before to visit with our missions team leaders and to talk to them about his ministry. Uh, but this is the first time he's had a chance to be here and bring the word to us. He's been in missions for over 20 years. Uh, he has a dynamic faith and a love for the Lord Jesus. And so uh, he's been in Memphis, and he's with us this morning. And then right after lunch, they're driving to Detroit. So uh, listen carefully, because you're not going to get to ask some questions later on. Uh, he won't be here too much longer. But we're thrilled, uh, Robbie, that you would come and bring the word with us this morning. So thank you, brother, for, for being here. Welcome to Green Tree. Thanks. It's my honor. Thank you. I'll get, yeah, let me get my junk. You get your notes. Well, it is a pleasure for us to be here. Uh, yeah, you know, we've been involved in missions for over 20 years. We've been traveling. Uh, I just wanted to introduce my wife to you. Joyce, you want to stand up? Say hi. Uh, she's been my partner in this for 27 years. Uh, I remember I didn't want to do missions. I remember we were, just before we got married, we were sitting at the banks of Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. Her dad taught at the university up there, and we were watching the ships pass through the locks, and I said, I'm not going. I'm not doing it. And then she said, well, then we're not getting married. And guess what I ended up doing? <laughs> I've been involved in missions, and we've been married. So it's been really exciting to be part of that. And really, God is just doing an amazing thing around the world. We've been privileged in the Middle East alone to be part of two church plants that God has done in Lebanon. And one of our church plants has 23 different nationalities there because the world we're living in is becoming a globalized world. Let me just help you to put this into perspective for a minute. If I boil down the world's population this morning to 100 people, so we represented the world's population, 100 of us today, let me tell you how that world would look. 60 of you today would be Asian, 14 African, 11 European. 14 of you sitting in this world of 100 would be from America. That's North, South, and Central, and the Caribbeans. One of you would be from New Zealand or Australia. I'm sorry if you're from there. You're just, your population is not very big. In this village, 14 of you would speak Mandarin as your first language, five English, five Spanish, three Hindi, three Portuguese, two Bengali, two Russian, two Japanese, one Arabic, one German. Also in this, the faith dynamic would look like this. 33 of you would be Christian. 20 of you Muslim, 14 of you atheist, agnostic, or non-religious. 13 of you would be from a Hindu background or from other religions. Six of you Buddhist and one from a Jewish background. And that's how this world of 100 would look. But if we look at that world for an, through an economic eyeglass, we'd see something rather different. Of this village of 100, the resources are going to be so unevenly distributed, such that the richest persons in this village would possess more than 57 of you taken together. 50 of you, you don't even have reliable food. You're hungry all the time. 30 of you are suffering from malnutrition, and 40 don't even have access to adequate sanitation, and 26 of you are living in substandard housing, or you don't even have a house. And 33 of you have no electricity, and another 33 only have limited access to it. Things don't look good in this world of 100, does it? 18 of you can't even read. 
15 of you don't even have access to safe drinking water. 12 of you own an automobile. Two of you are migrating, and only two have college education. Let's put it into perspective. 19 of you are struggling to survive on $1 or less, and 48 of you are struggling on $2 or less. Now, that's not really excellent news, is it? Well, thank you for bringing the missionary to speak this morning, Pastor Tom. He really helped us to see a great world out there. And the truth of the matter is that we want to see a great world out there, but the reality is that you and I both know that sin impacts our life, and it impacts it so dramatically. Not a one of you can have told me that you go through this life without any pain or suffering. You all are limping through life. And the thing that scriptures are telling us this morning is that we either can live intentionally, even in the midst of the challenges before us, or we're going to just lock ourselves away behind closed doors and just hope that life passes us without any interruption. The text for this morning's sermon comes to us from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. Don't let the brevity of this text fool you. There is a lot here to unpack and to unmine. This comes in this wider context of John chapter uh, uh, 20, verses 1 through 31, and we can kind of organize this passage to get a greater understanding of it. If I can just kind of zoom out a little bit. Verses 1 through 10 is that discovery of the empty tomb. Verses 11 through 18 Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, who we find out through the gospel. She is the announcer of the resurrection. God allows a woman to be the announcer of him being raised from the dead. Verses 19 through 23, we we are going to concentrate a bit this morning on is the disciples. That's you and I. This is what we experience in life, isn't it? That we're going to kind of unpack. And in verses 24 through 31 is Thomas. But our story is this morning from verses 19 through 22. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn with me. You can find it on page 906. That's my Bible. I don't know what it is in yours. But I know that we have it here. And there's a custom in churches around the world that we stand and we read the gospel together. Church, would you stand with me and join me in reading the text in unison? Listen carefully. Read carefully. This is the word of God. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read will not pass away. You may be seated. John wants us to help us to understand something rather unique. For him, miracles are an important thing in his gospel. And what he wants to say is that God is willing to cross every boundary, every wall, every brokenness, every sin, to say that nothing can separate you from the love of God. 
in Christ Jesus. In fact, there's six major uh, miracle stories that John covers. He talks about the wedding of Cana. Cana is in the southern part of Lebanon. In fact, if you think about it, Jesus' ministry was first to announce it to the Jews, but he's launching his ministry outside into Cana, into the Gentile territory. In other words, he's doing things out of the box already. Jesus heals the official son in Cana in, in John chapter 4, we're told. What about the healing in John 5 of the man who was lame for 38 years? He was by the pool, but nobody, nobody would move him into the water when it was stirred, showing you how people treat the poor and the marginalized and the lame and the broken. And sometimes we kick our own wounded in our families and in our churches. We're seeing here that he feeds the 5,000 in John chapter 6, and then in John chapter 9, he heals the blind man. And we hear the, the, the disciples saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? And then that great miracle story where Jesus in John chapter 11 raises Lazarus. This kind of sets this tone that John wants to kind of communicate to us that something here, this person of Jesus Christ, this person that breaks in and touches our life is the one that says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And you and I say to one another, you gotta be kidding. Me? Jesus, you're sending me? Do you not know who I am? And precisely, he does. He knows exactly who you are. And what we find in our text this morning is that Jesus hands over total responsibility of his earthly mission to his disciples and people like you and me. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As missiologists, we want to take a pattern through the Gospels, and we want to say that Jesus provides us the model for our missiology. And as we look in the Gospels, we need to mine the text to understand, Jesus, what do you do? How do you respond? And in turn, that we need to be motivated and intentional in our lives to say, Lord, I am a person of weak faith. Lord, help me to clutch at the hem of your garment to be your words and your deeds in this world around us. Jesus inaugurates God's kingdom. He identifies himself with the least, the lowly, the lonely. No amount of despair prevented him to come. He crossed those boundaries. But things in life can overwhelm us, can it? In 2014 alone, if we just chart what just took place in 2014, you and I can feel a little bit overwhelmed. Ebola in February, the Malaysian Airlines in March. What about in April, 276 Nigerian girls abducted by terrorists? In May, terrorists in Nigeria bomb, kill people. The list goes on and on, not to mention ISIS and others, and we find ourselves overwhelmed. That's no different than what we experience in Lebanon. Globalization is moving people. And as I said, the world around us is just converging together. But when you have a convergence, things sometimes go awry. In Lebanon in itself and in the Middle East, we're dealing with a new kind of phenomenon. Take a look at this video and just kind of catch what's really happening in our world that we're working in. 
2012, I was wrapping up my doctoral dissertation, and what we did is we looked at 50 key clergy within the Lebanese context, that is Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant. We surveyed them on a whole host of different things, and one thing that we did is we tracked them in their understanding of the Kafala system, this, this modern-day slavery, this phenomenon that takes place in Lebanon. Sadly, what we find is that the church remains behind closed doors. Out of the 51 out of the clergy said that the church needs to do something. The rest were aware of the situation, but they felt helpless, kind of in a sense behind closed doors, these walls, these barriers, these fortresses, these things that we lock ourselves around. When life hits us with challenges, whether it's the church, whether it's you individually, when your family life comes to a head and you face challenges in life. And usually because of human tendency is that we want to build walls to separate us from these most uncomfortable life situation. We call this in the world of NGO donor fatigue. In fact, what happens is that I can show you a picture of a child and say to you, here's a, a picture of a child in need. And most of you would be motivated to give, but... What they found in NGO world when they did a focus study is that when I show you two pictures, the giving rate goes down exponentially because we feel overwhelmed. My question to you is, what doors of fear have you remained locked behind? What walls of pain have you built? What barriers of resentment have you erected? What fortresses of unforgiveness have you made in your life? What's preventing you to be missional this morning? I want to look at our text this morning to unpack what John is saying to get our eyes to help us to see a pattern that missions is right here and right now and God calls you to be intentional and to live in this missional flow. If you look with me in this text, Verse 19, we are starting out with on evening of that day. In fact, what's so fascinating about this passage is that John is hearkening back to the the Genesis narrative of Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He's kind of framing that. And if you recall, in his opening portion of his text in John, he says, in the beginning was the word. It almost sounds just like in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. But John's saying something here rather profound. And sometimes when we read the scriptures, we just miss some of this richness underneath it. Evening of that day, evening in the gospels represents something a lot greater than we can kind of read into it. Evening represents ominous difficulty, challenges. In fact, in the Mediterranean basin in the antiquities, when the lights were out, when there was no light, you did not venture outside your house because bandits usually were around the mountainside. And so you, if you did, you basically took your life into your own hands. And so John is saying that in this portion of text, there is fear, there is darkness, there is a loss of hope. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says that darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness can hit us in all different ways, can it? And we can feel so overwhelmed to hear stories of family, friends, or when you hear the word cancer or what, you begin to say darkness just engulfs you and you just want to recede and say, 
no, Lord, I can't do it. John continues on by announcing it happened on the first day of the week. I love that because in the Western countries, your first day of the week starts on Monday. Today is a day of rest and worship. Many of you are also uh, uh, watching football games. I mean, you do a whole host of things on, on Sunday. But the fact is, in various different parts of the world, such as the Middle East, Sunday is the first day of the week. You start work on Sunday. It's the start of that busy, exciting atmosphere. And some of you are looking forward to your work week, and you're excited about that. And some of you are dreading it and saying, I haven't done what I should have done. Be that as it may, John is hearkening back to, in the beginning, something's happening here. Genesis 1.1, first day of the week, is saying that no matter what happens, the psalmist says, the sun will rise. He is faithful. He sends rain to the righteous and to the wicked. God is at work in your life, even though you do not even see it. And in the world of missions today, God is at work in this church universal, calling people from all different nationalities into his church. In fact, the Arabic word for church is kanisi. And it's derived from the word kennis, and kennis means to sweep. And it's a beautiful picture of God gathering his church. When we sweep the dust, we gather it together, and we bring it into a pile. That's what God is doing in his church, something hopeful on the first day of the week. But we're also told in verse 19, we're still in verse 19. Boy, we've got a long way to go. No, I promise you we'll finish. Lock doors. We're told that the disciples lock themselves. Weren't these guys were the, running with Jesus for three years? Didn't they see his ministry? Didn't they witness his miracles? Weren't some of them on the boat when Peter said, I'll come to you, and he walked, and then he fell in? Didn't we see these things? And sometimes you and I probably think to ourselves, if I was there and I saw that, my faith would grow. But the reality is they were there and they saw him, but they are locked behind closed doors because they thought this three-year gig with Jesus was so cool, so great, and now our Messiah, the one, he is dead. He's gone. And Mary Magdalene, she says he's not there anymore. And we're scared. We're, we're so scared because... We, we don't know what's going to happen to ourselves. Self-preservation, protection, fear. Genesis verse 2 of chapter 1 says the earth was without form and void. What John is saying is sometimes chaos in life creates such fear. We want order. We need order. And what Jesus wants to invite us to is this missional life, this intentional life to say, how are you ordering your life? What are you doing? Don't let life pass you by and say that you're going to take care of this some other time. Be intentional. Admit you don't have all the answers, but just keep going in this following and saying, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. I love when John says he announced that Jesus came and stood among them. God breaks into your space and time. God breaks into your space and time. And it reminds me of the Apostle Paul, who must have understood very much when he wrote Romans chapter 8. He said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus comes in and stands among them, and we see light. Working in the Middle East is kind of a very difficult task because Christians are a minority. There is a Protestant church in the Middle East, and many people don't realize that. They represent in Lebanon 4% of the total Christian population of 38%. So our numbers are really small. But you say to me, wow, that's amazing. You know, you, two church plants, you're working with the poor and the marginalized. You're helping people, but do lives actually change? One of the women that work for our preschool that we started, which is Changing Lives, comes to us from a Sunni background. She became a believer through another ministry that was caring for her, ministering to her needs. And she came to work for us. And I walked in one day at the preschool, and I noticed she had a Band-Aid on her nose, and her nose was swollen. She's our cook. So I said, what happened? And the assistant in the preschool kind of elbowed me, and I realized I shouldn't have said anything. I found out her story, and it says, she writes this. These are her words translated into English. She said, I have problems with my husband. The first time he saw a Bible in our house, he said, these are lies. And he started beating me. He broke my bones. Still now he's hitting me. But the word of Christ is in me, and nothing will force me to stop believing in Christ. Once he hit me so hard, I said, Lord... You accepted the nails from me. And I said to him, even if you hit me, I will not give up on Christ. Even my little boy, once we were walking on the road and there was fighting in the street. In Lebanon, when there's fighting in the street, they don't like to say, hi, how are you? I'm fighting. In the area she lived in, AK-47s are out and they're ripping each other with these guns going off. She said, I was afraid for my kids, but my son said, Mommy, don't be scared. Jesus is with us. When we go to heaven, we will be with him. And Jesus loves the kids, and Jesus loves me. He is my savior. He's six years old. I was scared for my kids, but they said, we're not afraid. Jesus is with us. People started telling my husband that I go to church. And one time, people started following me, but I wasn't scared. I told them, Jesus is in my life. He is in my heart. Inside my heart, I prayed, Lord, I'm your daughter. Please let them go away from me. And I felt fire come out of me. And the people went away from me. And then they started to say, she has a bad spirit. But I tell them, this is Jesus' authority. Jesus comes and stands among them in our locked doors. And he says two things to them. He says, peace be with you. It's an imperative It's a reminder to you and to me that even though the world of darkness seems like it's winning and winning big, 
that God is at work. This reminder of peace is let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, Jesus said in John chapter 14. Believe also in me. This peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as this world gives to you. So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't let yourself be afraid. It seems to me that John is reminding his disciples again and again, fear lurks around the corner. And then he shows them in verse 20, his hands and his side as a missional way of reminding us that he went to the cross for us. It's a culmination of this missional understanding that God is at work and he invites us to participate in his mission. Jesus, again, just to speed up, announces in verse 21, peace. But as soon as he announces peace to them in this time, what does he do? He kicks them out the door. Many times, Christian psychologists understand that when you're going through challenges and difficulties, many of you need is to reshape yourself and force yourself out the door. Not obsessing on the situation that occurred, but just rethinking life and to say, something new and fresh can be happening, but I need to just get out the door. And Jesus says, as the Father has sent me in verse 21, so I am sending you The interesting thing here is that it is in the present continuous tense. It's calling the disciples to have some intentionality. And this mission that God is calling you and I to be part of is how do you intentionally live your life? The Greek uses two different words for sending. But what we begin to see is that God has been on this sending since the moment he said... In the beginning, God created. And he's not going to finish the sending until Jesus comes again to judge the living and the dead. And in 22, we are told that he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. John said this to help us to think something rather broad. When the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, there's a creative force. We see the Trinity in action, God in three persons, working in this mission. That the Holy Spirit hovers over your life and gives new water. This church here hovering over you, calling new people to come, calling you to see life new and fresh, to challenge you to grow and to expand in all new ways as the church in the Middle East. God breathes life in this creative force as Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, for those of you in Christ Jesus, you become a new Genesis. The thing here is, is that we can kind of miss it when we begin to see these overwhelming things around us. What happened in France recently, the rise of ISIS, Islamic fundamentalism, enemies around the corner, people with headscarves. They just, we don't get them. What are they doing And we begin to build walls and separate ourselves, and that's not mission at all. Jesus calls us to rethink it. It's uncomfortable, but he says, rethink it. Those are my people. I created them in my image, and I'm inviting you to participate in this mission. 
what flipped the Roman Empire on its head wasn't political insurrection, wasn't coups, but it was a band of disciples that began to grow. Broken people, weak people, scared, insecure, imperfect people, redeemed lovers of Jesus who got out from behind locked doors and began to change the world around them in the words of the missiologist from Westminster, the late Harvey Kahn, by doing justice and preaching grace. Do you believe you're called to that? Do you believe you're called to be in this missional world? Or are you behind locked doors, hiding behind your weaknesses, thinking you have too many rough edges, and it's just not going to happen? God works through your imperfections. Jesus shines so great when people see who you are. One final thought, Thomas K. Hill in his book, The Mysteries of the Middle Ages, talks about this flipping of the Roman world on its head. And this is what he says. Christianity's claim that all were equal before God and all equally precious to him ran through this class-conscious, minority-despising, weakness-ridiculing Greco-Roman society. It sounds like our society, doesn't it? It sounds like the Middle East. And it changed them. He says, it is no wonder really that the primitive church seemed like a fairyland harbor to women who had been always kept in the shadows and to slaves who have never been awarded anything in society of dignity. What is truly remarkable, he writes, is how the aristocrats began to join this still illegal movement of Jesus in the course of the second and third centuries. And he closes this thought by saying they were distinguished by their sincerity and courage, not their methodology, not their programs. They were just followers of Jesus. And they were seekers after the truth who had gone quite out of their way to find it out and then held it in despite of many inconveniences or even dangers that membership afforded them. What's locking you behind closed doors? Let's pray. Our mission this morning is if we choose to accept it, is to live a life of complete commitment in the way and the leading of Jesus. It's a life that will lead us to places that we've never chosen for ourselves. It's a life that will lead us to people we would have never chosen it's a life that would lead us to do things in Christ's name that we would have never done. This morning, help us to see that you are at work calling us to go. Amen. Amen.